Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We've come to 2 Samuel chapter 8, day 422 of our three-year journey through God's Word. It's always a privilege to be able to spend time in God's Word each day. It's a blessing to us. We should be reminded every once in a while we should stop and realize that Many people around the world do not have the Bible in a language that they really understand well. Uh, they don't have the Bible in their heart language, in the language that's native to them. Many people throughout history did not have access to the Bible in their own language. And so this is a gift that we can meet together, we can look at the Bible, we can study it openly, we have the freedom to do so, and we have the access to it. Uh, and of course, the blessing of technology allows us to do this in this variety of online formats that weren't available to us just a few years ago. So we're thankful for all that. But let's ask the Lord to bless us as we look to his word this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is unchanging. As we look here at a portion of your word that was written down thousands of years ago, and we do so in the English language in an online format, uh, we are thankful for your faithfulness that speaks to how you have preserved your word and how you've given it to us and how you've drawn us to yourself. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher today, that you would write your word on our hearts that you inspired so long ago, that it would be personal to us and that it would impact our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 8. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methek Ammah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Beta and from Berathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son. Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, 
and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab the son of Zeruiah was over the army, and Jehoshaphat the son of Ahalud was recorder, and Zadok the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech the son of Abiathar were priests, and and Sereah was his secretary, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the Carathites and the Pelathites, and David's sons were priests. That is 2 Samuel chapter 8 in the Word of God. David was a remarkably effective general. We knew this about him already before he even became king, as of course they famously sang about him. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And David was just a remarkably effective military leader. He was blessed by the Lord in these things. Uh, this is what God had called him to do, to, to give peace and security to the people of Israel. Now, we have to keep in mind a bunch of different things as we're processing a passage like that. First of all, Israel was a theocracy. That means they were ruled by God. Uh, just yesterday morning at the McCalvin group at McDonald's, we were talking about how God had personally told David, go up to this battle or don't go up to this battle, and how God gave personal guidance and instruction because Israel was a theocracy. And there are no more theocracies in the world today in terms of geopolitical kingdoms that have armies that go out and conquer territory. That is not the nature of the kingdom of God in the new covenant age. In the new covenant age, we proclaim the gospel. We send out missionaries. The sword that we wield is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We proclaim the kingdom. We declare the finished work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit changes hearts and minds. The way the Holy Spirit brings people in subjection to the kingdom of Jesus is by changing their hearts and minds and giving them true and saving faith in Jesus Christ, thus bringing them under uh, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a godly influence that the church exercises in the world as salt and light, but we're not, we're not engaged in this kind of warfare anymore. So we have to recognize the difference between an old covenant age of a theocracy with an army that is making conquest and the new covenant age of the gospel where the conquest is by the spirit by the proclamation of the word by the advancement of the gospel of jesus christ to the nations now god has changed that for for good reason and that is in this uh all of this was ultimately just to to preserve the people of god and to preserve the line so that Jesus could come, because none of this type of activity ever brought real freedom and real peace to God's people. You see, David could conquer. He could conquer the Moabites, and he could conquer the Syrians, and he could conquer the Edomites, and he could conquer the Philistines. He could bring 
geopolitical peace for a period of time to a particular part of the world. But you see, none of that actually changed people's hearts and minds. None of that set them free from their sin or their condemnation under the holiness of God. None of that delivered them from their eternal enemies of sin, death, devil, and hell. None of that brought peace with God or true peace in their hearts. It was just a temporary earthly peace. And we need to keep that in mind when we battle between cultural political realities and we want sort of peace there. We want uh, victory there in this sort of cultural political sense versus gospel ministry and the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. We need to realize if we get a measure of victory in a cultural political thing, it's only temporary and it doesn't change hearts and minds and it doesn't bring people peace with God. It's the gospel that really changes hearts and minds and reconciles people to God and changes people from the inside out. True transformation by the gospel is an inside out transformation. And that's why we can read chapters like this. We have to understand this is this was God's will for this time and this place for this purpose. But that doesn't mean it's God's will to carry on in this way to this day, and there's a limited nature to it. Another thing we need to keep in mind is that just because things are recorded here as being done by David doesn't mean they were pleasing to the Lord. Notice in this chapter, we don't have David specifically asking God about everything he should do. One example here is what he did with the Moabites. He measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, one line to be spared. Was that God's will? We don't have any record of him inquiring of God about that. This was a, a tactic that was used in ancient warfare to subjugate a people, uh, and it's not necessarily something that was pleasing to God. We don't know, right? We just have to say we don't know. Uh, there were 20,000 foot soldiers, 1,700 horsemen. David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. So David is acting according to worldly wisdom in a way that may not be exactly what God had called him to do. We just don't know. But we do know that the Lord gave him victory wherever he want, went. Sorry, wherever he went. That's in verse 6. We do know that it was God who provided David with the victory in these places because God was giving rest to his people. Remember the period of the judges. Remember how there was just constant harassment from different surrounding groups as God's people were unfaithful. Well, here we have peace with the surrounding groups, but we also have this wonderful statement at the end of 2 Samuel 8 that David reigned over all Israel and administered justice and equity to all his people. You see, a righteous reign is accompanied by peace from surrounding enemies. Victory is given over surrounding enemies. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went again, we read in verse 14. Victory is given over surrounding enemies because there is a commitment to administering justice and equity and to reigning over the people in righteousness. And part of that is by making sure that, that the law is going to be put into place and upheld by a proper administration of the government. So there is this, this, this uh, peace here and this righteousness. 
I think there's a parallel we can draw to the contemporary church in that we sometimes want to see growth and conversions and gospel advance, but that needs to be accompanied by faithfulness in the church to the word of God and to the standards of God. So if the church is being faithful to properly preaching God's word, rightly proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, rightly administering the sacraments, shepherding the flock of God, watching over them and caring for them, acting in integrity with a, with a gospel integrity that is Christ-centered and that is genuine, right? That level of integrity within the church will, in God's timing, as God wills, be accompanied by the growth that God decides to bring. But there are times when you could see rapid growth, but it's not really faithful growth, and then it ends up doing more harm than good. Or there are times maybe when God says, okay, you're going to be faithful, but I'm going to call you to suffer because uh, that's what I've appointed for you at this time because of my judgment on the surrounding culture or what have you. So I think for us, knowing that we're not living in this geopolitical age of a theocracy, our call is, yes, we want to see the gospel advance. Yes, we want to see the kingdom of God grow. Yes, we should be very zealously sending missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we should also be faithful to what God's entrusted to our care to make sure that the church is a faithful manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. That the visible church, our church, Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, or if you go to a different church, that church is a, is a faithful manifestation of what the kingdom of God on earth should look like. That it's administered with justice and equity to all the people. That there's not favoritism or, or cliquishness or partiality or insincerity or corruption in, in the way that the church is being led and shepherded and served. Um, and so that's important as well. Ultimately, of course, it's Jesus who wins us the victory over our ultimate enemies. And just as the people of Israel were called to be faithful to David in following after him in battle and in government, so we are called to be faithful to King Jesus in following after him in battle and in government in missions and evangelism and in worship and discipleship. We are called to be faithful to the Lord, just as Israel would have been called to be faithful to David and the Lord at this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it and the power of it. We pray that you would help us to live it, help us to walk following after our king, for he is a good and gracious king, and he is a wise and wonderful king, and we are so blessed to know him and to serve him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for 2 Samuel chapter 8. I pray that you have a blessed day in the Lord, and we look forward to Mark chapter 15 on tap tomorrow with Mike Tolercio.